Good morning. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we come before you this day when once again your scriptures are opened up to us. They're alive, just as alive and meaningful for us today as they were thousands of years ago. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be so pleasing to you, Lord. May we be renewed, revived, awakened by it. And may your words not come back empty to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Mike and I were about 30 years old, we loaded up the old Pontiac station wagon to the brim. And when I say the brim, I mean the brim. It was so full that Mike could not see through the rear view window. He would look through the, his side window. I'd look through my side window, and I'd tell him when he could get in the left lane and move over and such. You see, we had packed up to leave from Fayetteville, Arkansas, to come back home, the home that we had once knew 10 years earlier to both our parents. We felt a nudge from God that it was the right thing to do. Now, the car was not only loaded with stuff, all our stuff, but we had Angie, who was seven, and we had Tyler, who was a month old, and we had two rowdy kitty cats. Yeah, two rowdy kitty cats that don't travel very well in the car, Sam and Nisi. And in those days, we didn't have iPhones, iPads, TV screens on the back of the seats. You hear me? You feel me? Some of the older ones in this congregation. Some of you younger kids that have these newfangled cards and tra travel and get to grandma's house and go, we're so tired. We travel five hours and the kids were around. I got a tiny violin that I will play for you. Okay? Back then, Angie was a rowdy little kid, and the coloring book only lasts a little while, you know. So she commenced to play with the cats. She pulls their tail, she rubs them backwards. They're jumping all over the car, the baby's crying. No chance, Mike's gonna go to sleep at the wheel, you got me? Angie's saying, Mama, I wanna drink the water. I gotta go to the bathroom, I'm hungry. 17 hours of this. Needless to say, <laughs> we arrived in Columbia. No home, except his parents to bunk in for a little while. No job for either of us. No thought of a job. Bad planning. <clears throat> we looked at each other. And I know that we were thinking the same thing, my friends. One of us said it. Did we really make the right choice here? Well, as hard as the season that would follow be, and that's a sermon for another day, it can't compare, can't touch what was going on in this powerful story with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. It was the worst of times for the Israelite people. In fact, if you look at the last scripture verse in Judges, which ends and then Ruth begins, 
It says this, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. Now, what does that tell you? No leadership. A time of disobedience, a time of violence, a time of idolatry and every other kind of thing that you can imagine going on with the Israelite people. And there was something else going on. There was a famine in Bethlehem. Odd. The meaning of Bethlehem means house of bread. And there was very little for the people. It was in this setting, my friends, that a family led by Elimelech made their way from Bethlehem to Moab. It was in this setting that this man and his family made choices that would go against the very laws of the Israelites and bring great sorrow upon the family. Let me explain. You see, the Moabites were enemies. They were enemies of the Israelites. Yes, they came through the lineage of Lot, but they had ruled over Israel for 14 years for a season. They were pagans. They idolized many gods, and it was not a good thing per the law to intermingle with the pagans. Things got worse. The sons married the pagan women, Ruth and Orpah. You didn't mix Israelite blood with Moabite blood. So that was the second bad thing. Well, things continued to go downhill from there. After some time, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi as a widow with two sons. And then, of course, they married the Moabite wives. And after 10 years, the sons died too. Here we have Naomi, no husband, no sons to step in, because you see, in that time, it was tough for a woman. It was real tough for a woman to be on her own. In that culture, if a woman's husband died, then the son, one of the sons, the oldest son usually would step in and take over and nurture and care for. Well, she didn't have sons anymore. She had her two daughter-in-laws that were Moabite women. What could have been going through her mind? Did she have regret? Did she have anger? Did she have grief? Yes. Did she have loneliness? Did she have fear? I think so. I think she probably experienced every single one of those feelings. But you see, God was up to something. God's unexpected faithfulness was about to step right into the midst. One day, she heard some good news. The Lord had come to the aid of his people in Bethlehem, you see. Food was available there again. So Naomi, Naomi was at a crossroads in her life. She had a choice to make if you will. Now, there were several that she could have contemplated at that time, and let's talk about them. She could endure. That means she could stay put. She could live in her emptiness. Let the emptiness become her master. Have you ever been there? I have. 
Have you ever lived in emptiness and allowed it to be your master? She could have done that. Stayed put. The other thing she could have done is she could have escaped and miss out on God's purpose for her. How many times have we run away? How many times have we tried to escape? Escape what God is trying to call us to. We succumb to the culture that surrounds us. We succumb to our own greed and our own cares and whims. Yes, she could have endured, she could have escaped. The third choice would be to engage. To let her trials, to let her suffering, to let her grief be her servants and learn to grow in faith and not miss out on what God is trying to be up to in her life. Now, we hear in the scripture that she chose to engage. She decided to go back to Bethlehem. That was her home, after all, although she hadn't been there in many years. Let me pause here and say something. This took courage. Do you hear it? <laughs> this took great courage. She had left her home country years ago. She didn't know what she was going back to, did she? Hmm? She didn't know if she'd be accepted by the people after she had lived in an alien land. Would she be ostracized by them? She had no idea. It took courage. It took courage for her two daughter-in-laws, at least initially, both of them, to say, we'll go with you. After a little bit of the journey, though, she had second thoughts about the daughter-in-laws. And she tried to encourage them or dissuade them, if you will, from coming along with her and to return to their mothers and their families home. She was really trying to look out for their physical needs. After all, they had family in Moab. They could find some husbands in Moab. They had provisions and support there. If they went to Bethlehem with her, Moabite women, what would be waiting for them there? Maybe worse than what was waiting on Naomi. She didn't try once. She didn't try twice. She tried three times to convince them to go back to their own families. And finally, Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye and returned to her own family. But not Ruth. Not Ruth. I want you to hear a dialogue with me. This is from Ruth 1, 15 and 18. Naomi speaks, look. Said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. 
When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So off they went. Let me pause here and say this. Now, Ruth had been the daughter-in-law of Naomi for at least 10 years. We see that in the scripture. That certainly was enough time to allow Ruth to make a determination about Naomi's character. It took courage. It took a great love, if you will, for Ruth to say, I'm going to leave my family and everything that I know here and go on a journey to an unknown with you, Naomi. What a covenantal relationship with mother and daughter-in-law. The power of God was working in this. I would be remiss if I didn't say it. Certainly, there were nudges from God to own both of these women, albeit they may not have realized it at the time. But both had to make a decision. Both women had to surrender. They had to surrender to the known for the unknown. They had no idea what the future would hold for them. But there was a little flicker there, and they were willing to go. They had to step out, my friends. The trip back to Bethlehem was not a straight path, and it wasn't a walk in the park. In fact, it was a crooked path with ups and downs and curves and turns. They had to travel on foot downhill from Moab across the Jordan and then upwards over 2,000 feet above sea level to Bethlehem. This wasn't I-20. This wasn't I-95. It wasn't even two-notch road. It wasn't the Natchez Trail or the Appalachian Trail. It was a path that a Boy Scout might walk on. There were no McDonald's for burgers and fries. There was no rest stops for water and restoration. And there certainly wasn't a Motel 6 saying, we'll leave the light on for you. Two women alone on the road, on a path, where they could be robbed, raped, killed. Took them probably a little over a week. It was anywhere from 30 to 50 miles. Took courage to step out. When they got there, the people said, it's in the scripture, this isn't me talking. It's that Naomi? Hey, excuse me. She'd been on the road a week, her hair was dirty, and she probably stunk. Just teasing. Did they not recognize her because of the grief that she had been stricken with? Did they not recognize her or expect her to ever return because they thought maybe since she went to this foreign country, she'd be dead by now? I don't know. But at that juncture, Naomi, which means pleasant, Naomi, who said she left full and was coming back empty, said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because I'm bitter. The Lord has dealt badly with me. And you get the sense she felt she deserved it. 
You know how women are. When something goes bad in the family, we all try to figure out how we're at fault, right? We surely did something wrong to cause all this. So she was bitter. Can you blame her? What she didn't know, what Ruth didn't know at the moment, that she would go from bitter to blessed. It's coming. Blessed by God. Even in the midst of the misfortune and human loss, a blessing was coming. And Ruth, oh my goodness, Ruth, what courage, what love for her mother-in-law to take that path. Have you ever felt the nudge of God on your life? Have you ever felt this right here, that God might be calling you to do something? But you don't surrender. You don't step out in faith. You hesitate. You let the distractions, you let the culture, you let the self-centeredness of the world keep you from paying attention to what God may be calling you to do new. Is God trying to put an awakening on you? Is he trying to wake you up? Pastor Jeff, Pastor Bill talked about it last week. Well, in 1996, God started pulling at my heartstrings, called on me to leave what was familiar, what was my Moab, <laughs> called me to leave corporate America, return to school, return to college. I didn't have a college degree, going to seminary and become an ordained pastor in the United Methodist Church. At the time, in 1996, Looking back, hindsight's 2020, right? I was empty. I was an empty person spiritually. Now, unlike Naomi, who had no money, no man, no means for survival, in those times especially, they had her man. I had my mic. I had my means. I had my money. I had my career. But I was drifting, don't you see? I was drifting. God wasn't moving. God never moves. But I was drifting away from God, and as a result, I was drifting away from the people in my church that I, that I loved and that loved me. It was all about the next step. <laughs> what can I do to make more money, have a stronger career, do more in corporate America? And the very idea, God... <laughs> As I escaped into my Moab, I'm pretty bitter at you. How could you? I'm going to church. I'm a good person. How could you ask me to leave all this? So I escaped into my world. I'm so thankful, my friends, so thankful. I thank my God, my Savior every day that he didn't give up on me that his faithfulness continued with me. He continued to woo me and, and show me in so many ways that he had a new plan for me. It was three years later, 1999. I went on a women's retreat 
in Savannah, a little bit north of Savannah, Ebenezer Retreat Center. It was led by Reverend Joyce Payne. You can Google her. She still has a great ministry. She's an evangelical United Methodist pastor out of Warner Robins, Georgia. Phenomenal woman. So I went on that retreat, and I'll never forget. I was on the retreat with my church, my women. She sent us out, each one of us out, with a different scripture. She says, I want you to take it, find you a quiet place, go contemplate on it, see how God might be speaking to you. Because you see Joyce Payne, her ministry is that we should all be in ministry and we should keep our antennas up for new things that God might be calling us to, especially. So I went out, and outside the retreat center was a tiny little Methodist, actually it was a little Lutheran church, Ebenezer Lutheran church in that retreat, and there was a stand of woods there. And something, Holy Spirit, I know now, there was an urge to walk out in those woods. And so I did. And there was a tiny little pulpit in the woods. Imagine that. And hooked to it was a drop cord. It was orange, bright orange. And it was as if in my spirit, not an audible voice, no, but a thought came into my spirit, Faye, I want you behind a pulpit and I will be that drop cord. I will be your power source. When are you going to do it? You've waited three years. I bawled like a baby. I knew. I knew that afternoon I could run no more. I could escape no more into my culture into my Moab, I had a choice to make. It was time to fish or cut bait, right? (laughs) I came home. My pastor then at Rehoboth United Methodist Church was Reverend Deborah Quilling. She'd been with us about six or seven years at the time, maybe a little more. And I met with her, met with my husband, Mike, with my daughter, Angie, with my son-in-law, Stephen, with Tyler, my son, with members in the church, and I surrendered right then and there. I left corporate America and entered Columbia College as a day student, three years there to obtain my degree, and then four years at Lutheran Seminary, and then another three years in Anderson as a probationary elder, that's what they called us then, when we were still working toward ordination. So that was 10 years, 10-year journey. During that time, my Lord God, the power of the Holy Spirit, my husband, my children, great pastors, great women of faith came alongside me in ways that I'll never be able to thank them enough. During my journey, I ran across a quote, author unknown. I had it cross-stitched. It says this. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Do you hear it? The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, my friends. It's true. It's been proven to me over and over and over again. I had no idea. (laughs) 
when I surrendered and said, yes, God, okay, you win. I'm going to go back to school. I'll be a pastor. I had no idea where that would lead me. I had no idea that it would lead me here. I'm beginning my ninth year here as your pastor of congregational care. What a blessing. Oh, I can't tell you. Every day I thank God that he has allowed me to be in this place among all of you in his ministry, joining him. I had no idea when I surrendered and stepped out in that tiny little bit of faith that you all, that my God and Redeemer would sustain me in ways back then I could never imagine. It'll be three years, October the 8th. Our son Tyler died, leaving behind Jennifer, his wife, and two-and-a-half-year-old twins, Harper and Finley. I'll never forget it. The day after his death, Mike and I got in the car, and we drove to Batesburg-Leesville and pulled in the driveway of Jennifer's parents to plan my son's funeral. As I got out of the car, Jennifer's mom, Debbie Hook, was standing on the grass in the front yard, and she ran to me. She wrapped her arms around me, and she said, Faye, the best part of Tyler, your son is inside. They're waiting on you. Go in there, see them, and love on them, and may it give you comfort. And it did. And when I went in there and I looked into those little girls' eyes, I thought, oh, my son, your DNA is running through their veins. I don't know what these precious little ones are going to become. I don't know what their future's going to hold. But Lord God, I prayed right there. And I've prayed ever since that they will grow up and be godly women. That they'll grow up and be godly women. That's my prayer for Harper and Finley and for Annika too. She's 14. She's Angie's daughter. We have three granddaughters. I will live to see all that will happen in their precious lives. I don't know the future, but I know who holds it. That's Jesus Christ. And he has a plan for my granddaughters. I know he does. And I might not be able to see it in this lifetime. Here's what I can say. I can say that I was once empty. And I escaped. I escaped to Moab. And I finally surrendered and stepped out in a tiny bit of faith. And God led me on a path, a path in a wilderness that brought me to this place, to ministry. What joy. I became full. I was empty when my son died. So empty. I would never wish that kind of death on anyone. To lose a child is so unnatural. 
A parent should never bury their child. But now, pouring myself into Harper and Finley, not only my love, but God's love. Every chance I get, I talk to them about Jesus and how much Jesus loves them. And let me say this, I've got a Ruth, and my Ruth is Jennifer, my daughter-in-law. She came alongside me, and we've got a connection now that's tight. We're tight. A connection and a love with one another that probably would have never happened otherwise. So God yet again brought a Ruth to me. And then my daughter, Angie, she's always there for me, always there for me, giving me wisdom and support. Now, a year ago, my husband had that heart attack. Some of you know about that. And he nearly died three times, not once. He's a miracle three times over. But God had a plan. I can't explain it. Mike can't explain it. We live day by day thanking God for the present because it is a gift. It's truly a gift every day we have with each other. I was empty and afraid. It was July 30th when he had his heart attack. He had to be airlifted to Duke. But your strength, your arms wrapping around me, God's arms wrapping around me, my daughter, my friend, my daughter-in-law, my grandchildren, I was fearful, but yet it didn't last long because even a little bit of faith, my friends, a little bit of listening to the Lord that he can do some good things can sustain us. I am full now, again, living each day to the fullest with my mic and my family, thanking God every day that he's never given up on me. I found this quote. John Henry Newman said this, Fear not that your life will come to an end, but rather that it shall never have a beginning. Isn't that beautiful? How many of us are really at a dead end or just, as Pastor Jeff has said, we're just kind of keeping on and keeping on, and we're not listening for the nudge from God that he might want to do a new thing, that there might be an awakening that he's trying to help us come to. God wastes nothing. He wastes no one. Naomi nor Ruth, for that matter, knew what the future would hold for them, for their grandchildren, for the generations to come. I hope you'll come back these next two weeks to hear more of this powerful story of love and redemption from God and God's faithfulness, unexpected at times. But let me say this. Naomi came back to Bethlehem bitter, but she didn't stay that way. For you see, at the end of the book of Ruth, 
we hear that she is holding her little grandson, Obed. Oh, what joy she must have had in her heart. I'm a grandmother. I know how that feels. It's wonderful. So she had joy again. She was pleasant again, not bitter, but blessed. But she had no idea at that juncture that that little grandson would become the father of Jesse. And that Jesse would be the father of King David. Nor did she know that that family line from David would travel on down through Mary, who was the mother of Jesus Christ. She had no idea. Ruth didn't either. But they were willing to surrender. They were willing to step out, even in a little bit of faith, to let God do something grander than they could ever, ever imagine. The Lord Jesus Christ is always in the business of redeeming, of working out a new and better thing in this world. Where are you today? Are you beaten down? Are you brokenhearted? Are you empty? Are you trying to escape? Are you happy in the Lord? Do you feel a nudge on your heartstrings? Is he calling you to an awakening? I don't know. Do you have your antennas up? to pay attention when he does. For you see, he wastes nothing. He uses all of us, all the time, all of our lives, until we draw our last breath. Do you need to surrender today? Do you need to step out? Do you need to go from bitter to blessed? God might be calling somebody in here today. I had a couple of people come up to me personally after the nine o'clock and say, Pastor Faye, you had no way of knowing, but this one, this one was for me. Is this one for you? Don't wait another minute. Don't wait three years like I did. Do it now. Say yes to God and see what great things he can do through you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, Ronnie's going to come and lead us in I Surrender All. As you hear these words, as you sing these words, if someone would like to come to the altar and pray, the altar is always open in this church. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, don't wait another minute. Do it today. No promise of tomorrow. If you need to recommit your life, if you need to lay something at the altar, surrender it here. Ronnie, come. Lead us.